I feel like we just need to come together as a country right now and like stop hoping for things that might not happen. Honestly, you have to get out of here. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I mean, it would be Pence. Do you want you want Pence? Get out. <laughs> okay. Look, if it makes you feel any better, uh, the kush is cooked, and uh, also you're the next Bachelorette. Oh, oh, that's great. Well, I'm fine. <laughs> great. And I'm live from New York, York it's Saturday night. It's Saturday Night Live. Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week, we'll be discussing Season 43, Episode 15 of SNL with host Sterling K. Brown and musical guest James Bay. I'm John Murray, and with me as always is comedy aficionado and all-around swell dude, Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or rather Apple Podcasts. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Sterling K. Brown. Let's kick things off with a little bit of listener feedback. Uh, Debbie Winner has checked in and asks, is Sterling K. Brown the best first-time host we've had in the past few seasons? There's been some great ones, Chance the Rapper, Aziz Ansari, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and Ariana Grande, to name a few, but I feel as if Sterling just brought it to every single sketch. Okay, so a couple things to unpack there. First off, do we agree, was Sterling a fantastic first-time host? And maybe we should try and paint a picture of kind of what our personal opinions are of what it is that actually qualifies someone as a great first-time host. Like, what puts them on five-timers track? Yeah. First of all, I would agree with Debbie Winner Mm -hmm. that he was definitely at least one of the best of recent times for a first-timer. He's one of those actors or basically any type of celebrity who's kind of had more of a recent uh, string of success. Sure. You know, him as a person, he's less jaded. Mm-hmm. You know yep. what I mean? He's, he's more wide-eyed. And that's why we saw that same kind of energy from Lin-Manuel and a lot of other people who are just recently becoming big names. Right. They haven't gotten jaded from it like Chevy Chase and grown to resent it. <laughs> right. They're still hungry. They're still like yes. looking to prove something. Yeah. I think that's the main reason. As for the other part of the question, uh, what makes a great host? It's a lot of things and it's hard to like make it into different categories. Sure. Because it's, it's sometimes just something you can't place your finger on, but uh, I don't know what, what are some <laughs> of the categories you would, you would figure out for that? Uh, well, my thinking is first off, Sterling K Brown did do a stunning job, right? Like he brought every ounce of acting gravitas that he could to all of the the material that he was given. So I felt like he demonstrated that he really did come to play and he gave it his all. And he was obviously very enthusiastic to be there. Yes. Anyone who was kind of following Twitter, or Instagram throughout the week knows that uh, he was just bubbling over. He was just lapping it up, loving it. Uh, very similar to the energy that Lin-Manuel brought when he hosted. You could just tell this is someone that actually is a fan of the show that is just uh, reveling in every moment in 8H. So yeah, that energy I think has to be there. You, you need to get the sense that this person is really 
really kind of invested in the show and really wants to bring their best. So when you feel that, that just creates a good energy for the show. So you want any host to have that, but all the more so a first time host. Uh, so I think that that definitely qualifies him as a, a great first time host. But I think the other part of it is you need a host that just is naturally wired to be able to shine in sketch comedy. Mm-hmm. You need someone with just the, the type of acting ability that can flow really easily without a lot of rehearsal where they can dig deep and find characters really quickly. You just really need to have a, a certain talent to be able to thrive at SNL. And when we do see hosts that really just jump in with both feet, their game, they want to be there. And then on top of it, they're just able to go toe to toe with some of the season performers. I think that's what really shows that you've got something special. And this is the kind of person that you're going to want to have back for future episodes. And I personally was feeling that. And I would be more than happy to see him back. I would be yeah, very happy as well, for sure. So uh, with that out of the way, let's just jump right on into the show. Cold open on the bachelor season finale. Becca is blindsided by some disheartening news from Robert Mueller. A little bit of a different approach to the cold open this week. You got any uh, brilliant thoughts on this one? I would not say so. <laughs> okay. I have no frame of reference. Believe it or not, John, I do not watch <laughs> the bachelor. I'm assuming this is an accurate portrayal of, of how these, you know, finales play out. I think whoever came up with this, they made a very clever connection, Mm -hmm. but just, you know, technically the way it played out, it was so, you know, low energy and there was a lot of dead air. Right. For a cold open. It was very, uh, very cold. Yeah. Kind of tepid, (laughs) kind of tepid. Yeah. On first viewing, that was my exact thought too. I thought, I'm sure there's something here for people that watch the bachelor, but if you don't have the context of what they're goofing on, it really does play out a little awkwardly because like you mentioned, there is a lot of space and a lot of just dead air between the dialogue because it's a very slow moving kind of scene that they're setting and very sparse with the jokes, right? Like there is a a clever metaphor that they're alluding to, you know, where uh, they're, they're likening kind of the uh, investigation unraveling to a relationship unraveling a la the bachelor. But if you don't watch the bachelor, there's very little to connect with. And so for that, it really didn't land for me the first time through, but I did something that I, I genuinely regret after the fact I went and watched the bachelor season finale to try and get some context so that I'd have something clever to say about it. Oh, and, uh, after subjecting myself to upwards of three hours of maybe the worst reality television that's ever been produced, uh, I can say if you are a bachelor fan, if you watch that show, this was brilliant. This was pure genius if you knew what they were goofing on. So just to set the table a little bit, this uh, season of The Bachelor, it ended with Ari, our beard hunk for the season, choosing one of the two bimbos that, uh, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how the show works, but uh, basically it comes down to uh, two choices at the end. And apparently he's, you know, sleeping and shacking up with both of them. But for whatever reason, he has to pick one of the two because this is not uh, Mormon Bachelor. <laughs> This isn't big love. Yeah. So he picks Becca over the blonde one and you think that's the end of the show, but apparently after the fact he had second thoughts and decided that he wanted to try and pursue things with the other one. So this is after the show's production is kind of wrapped. And what he did was rather than just kind of do this discreetly off screen and, and, you know, let this girl down gently, he decides to bring back all of the cameras from the bachelor so that they can film him breaking up with this chick in real time, kind of the way that they showed it on SNL with, you know, the handheld cameras, multi-angle kind of up 
on the screen at once. That's exactly how they produced that portion of the the finale. Mm. So it was just this train wreck of a scene where he sits her down, breaks up with her, and that's bad enough. But then what happens is she's like breaking down and getting emotional. She's like, I just, I want you to leave. Just, you know, go away, leave me be. And he's like, okay, I'll leave. But because he's such a camera whore, he decides, you know, after a couple minutes of letting her sort of stew on her own, that he's going to come back and kind of take another run at getting some more screen time of this, you know, emotional travesty that's unrolling. And he does that a half a dozen times. Like she's just, he comes back. She's like, I don't want to talk. He's like, okay, I'll leave you alone. I'm going to go now. And then he comes back with the cameras again, almost like maybe the producers are kind of ushering him to get more, get more, get more like, yeah. you know, milk this for all it's worth. And it just, it goes on and on and it's just devastating to watch. I guess it makes for good cringe TV, but I just, oh, I was disgusted by the whole thing, but take that, which I guess is a big moment in reality TV, right? Like not every season finale ends with this kind of a train wreck. Normally it's like, here's your rose and now we're happy and whatever. Right. So this was a bit of an event. So I can understand why it was worth the show goofing on. So if you have that context and then you watch what SNL did, it was absolutely, you know, pitch perfect, brilliant. It was a smart mashup to kind of bring in the political side of things and make it sort of an allegory for that. So there was a lot that was working for it. If you have the context, I don't recommend that anyone go back and watch the actual finale of the bachelor. It It's just, no, don't go near it. It's toxic. Oof. But if you have subjected yourself to it, then you probably really like this cold open. So on second viewing, I really like the cold open. You are a true murder. <laughs> yes, I took one for the team, but uh, you really did. Uh, SNL was doing something clever here, and I hope that uh, people can appreciate that not only was it a, a fun idea and it was well executed, but this is exactly what I've been begging for. You know, like mix it up, find creative ways to run at politics. Don't just do the talking heads around a desk or don't just do Trump in the White House or whatever. So this was great. I got to applaud SNL for getting creative and I got to applaud at a technical level, kind of what a feat it is to do something like that in real time in, in a confined live space like studio eight H. So a big win for me. Oh, that's great. (laughs) I I just need more context, I guess. Yeah, but don't, don't just let it die. Don't go back. It's yeah. This is like Indiana Jones Raiders of the lost Ark kind of a moment. You do not want to open your eyes and look at what, uh, (laughs) what the bachelor can offer you. It's not worth it. Sure. Your face will melt is kind of what I'm saying. Okay. I'll let it go. (laughs) Moving on. Let's take a look at the monologue. Sterling K Brown promises to not get overwhelmed. Yeah. Didn't hold that promise for very long. (laughs) Obviously it plays to Sterling K Brown's reputation of being a very intense actor. Right. The material he's given in this is us is always very heavy. So yeah, makes sense. It had some good moments. There were some moments where I'm like, this guy, he's such a great actor and he's so intense up there. It's, it's almost giving me the wrong feeling. (laughs) Okay. I'm a bit of an emotional sponge and like, this was a very raw performance for a comedy monologue. Okay. I don't know if you, if you, if you got anything that I did or if you're just cold and dead inside. Uh, well, I am cold and dead inside, but I also watch this as us. So I'm a little bit more immune to his like digging deep, heavy, emotional moments. I thought this was great. I thought that this was a perfect way to spoof what he does on this is us, which is intense on the verge of crying emotional moments because that's kind of his bread and butter. The show was able to play that up to 
perfect effect. And I thought that this monologue moved quickly. I thought that he performed it stunningly well. I felt like he commanded the audience, that he had poise, that he brought everything to the stage that you want to see a host bring to the stage. And then I think they actually used Leslie to really good effect there at the end. And she probably did some of the best acting of her SNL tenure as well. So uh, there was a lot working here and I thought that it was great. Yeah, it was better than her African accent. (laughs) Very true. Very true. We will get to the Black Panther sketch in due time. Yeah. You know, there were some really good jokes. Mm-hmm. You know, just straight up good writing. Uh, those uh, titles of the spinoffs had <laughs> yeah. me laughing. The middle name, what the K stands for, Kathleen, Kathleen was yeah, it? Yeah. They had some fun little bits peppered in there to go along with that overall concept of the over-emotional actor. Definitely a good formula. Yeah, it was brisk. It was well-balanced. And uh, yeah, it just really kind of flowed. It, it played out really well. So yeah, big win. Big, big win. Moving on for our first live sketch of the night. We get celebrity family feud Oscars edition. Well, if we're going to see a impression showcase when the Oscars and, and the, the award season is going on, that's probably the best time to do it. Mm-hmm. It's a good time to do a few impressions while that's a current event. Yeah, it was, uh, it was appropriate. Okay. All right. I don't have a whole lot to say about it because this is very tried and true standard run of the mill SNL type of material. Uh, some of the impressions were good. Some of the impressions were a little lackluster, same as always. So, uh, other than that meta moment in the middle there where, uh, Jordan Peele sort of calls out Keenan Thompson for never leaving sketch comedy. And then, you know, Steve Harvey is kind of pulled out of the moment a little bit as Keenan's mulling over (laughs) the tragedy of his career. Aside from that little sort of inventive meta moment, there wasn't a whole lot here that you can really point out and say, well, this is brilliant. This is fresh and great, but you know, for what it is just an impression fest, perfectly serviceable, had some fun with it. Heidi was probably my shining star for this one. Allison Janney has a very quirky, recognizable personality. Right. I thought it was a good, good choice of an impression to do. Mm -hmm. She killed it, not only in in like voice and mannerisms, but just her resting face. Mm -hmm. Like I was distracted from some of the other impressions because I was watching her kind of listen to the other actors talking. And I was like, that, that just looks like Alice and Janney sitting there. (laughs) Sure. The whole energy was perfect. Yep. And it, it wasn't really an over the top impression. Like she wasn't going really big with it. She was finding some subtlety. So yeah, I respected that too. I noticed that at one point she fumbled over a line and kind of killed a joke, but in the process of doing that, she didn't miss a beat. Like even though she mixed up her words, so the joke didn't land, she didn't break character or wince or anything. She just kept rolling with it. And so I did have a little thought there that, okay, here's a consummate professional. Here's someone that's holding it together, even when they flub the line. And so, I mean, if you're going to offer praise when someone screws up, that's kind of the best thing you can say is they still hold it together and they don't derail a sketch over it. So always high marks for Heidi. She's a a stunningly good impressionist and uh, we're seeing a lot of good stuff from her. So yeah, this is just one more kind of drop in the bucket. Oh my God. Yes. And I'm glad you brought it up because mm-hmm. I noticed it on my second viewing that she messed up a line. Right. And yeah, she just rolled right through it. Like she meant to say it that way. That's probably why I didn't notice the first time because she wasn't like, she didn't pull a Leslie Jones going, uh, uh, sorry. Exactly. Oh, better, <laughs> better leave the stage. Or... <laughs> right. <laughs> she owned it. And I noticed this when she was doing that, uh, teenage movie reviewer. Mm-hmm. She couldn't get the word Quebec out. Right. And she made that part of her performance. Mm-hmm. She was a little flummoxed, but in character. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Beck. She's really <laughs> skilled in, in these recoveries, it seems. Yep. And I know Lauren loves this stuff. And this is why he loved Vanessa Bayer. Mm-hmm. Speak of the devil. Yep. Because she was made of stone like that, too. and could glide through anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really great tool to have in your kit. Yep. Heidi's continuing to prove that she was a, a pretty solid hire. Uh, let's take a look at our first pre-tape of the night. NBC presents This Is U.S., the real-life drama happening in our government every day. Now, you said last week that you don't really follow This Is Us, so some of this might go over your head, but as a sort of casual viewer without a lot of context, was there anything here that you were grinning at? You know, when a show gets as popular as This Is Us, you see ads pop up everywhere. Even if you don't watch the show, you kind of get a vibe of it from all that exposure. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of, you know, tiny little recaps in these teasers for upcoming episodes and all this crazy stuff happening. Sure. And the people next to me who know what's going on are like, oh, or whatever. (laughs) I'm out of the loop, but I, I feel that intensity and that melodrama. Right. So I recognize that, but there's probably a lot of stuff I missed. Uh, no, I, I think actually you probably got as much out of this as you really need to get, uh, which is they're trying to present, uh, an emotionally wrought intense drama based around all of these buffoonish characters from the administration. So there's some humor there. I felt like this moved a little quick and maybe didn't explore the opportunities that this kind of a mashup could give you as much as maybe I would have liked as a viewer of this is us. I can think of a lot of like seminal moments in the show that maybe could have been played up a bit more. So I just kind of thought like maybe in the edit, they whittled this down a bit too much, or maybe they just didn't get the material that they were hoping for when they they did the shoot. So there was something that I felt was just a little, I don't know, too lightweight about it. Yeah. It seemed pared down. Yeah. I'd be willing to bet a bunch was left on the cutting room floor, Mm -hmm. I guess in favor of more uh, Sasquatch (laughs) gags which I'm sure we'll all talk about how much we appreciate that decision. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it felt like there was more and they probably picked those exact things that you're referring to, to cut the things that the hardcore fans, niche fans yeah, would yeah. know. Yeah. That's yeah. always going to be the first to go. Yeah. More broad general landing jokes. Yeah. That's probably what it is. They probably were trying to weigh the value of making it too deep a cut as opposed to something a little more accessible. And, uh, yeah, wherever they landed was amusing, but not really memorable for me. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. We get another live sketch while meeting his fiance's parents. Justin expresses some passionate views about the animated classic Shrek. Oh man. This is a sketch that makes me giddy to watch. (laughs) Okay. Literally puts me on the edge of my seat. Like this gets escalated to a 10 and then to 11, then a 12 and a 13, you know, like we were already talking about Sterling K Brown's intensity as an actor. Right. I liked how they used that to their advantage in numerous ways. This is definitely a good example of that. Mm-hmm. I just love how relentless he got in defense <laughs> of, the, of Shrek. It was almost dreamlike to watch. Because it was just so brutal. <laughs> uh, yeah. A lesser actor could not have done justice to this kind of material. You really needed someone like Sterling K. Brown to sell it. And he did. He sold the hell out of it. Uh, I was lapping it up too. I thought this was great. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Beck was great to play <laughs> off. Sure. I, I think he should get props too. Mm-hmm. So Beck and 80, they, they got to get credit for, um, <laughs> for being good straight man and straight woman. It just came together really well. Yeah, it uh, escalated really well. It was just really, really satisfying. So big win for me. Big win for me too. Mm -hmm. Probably should have said this already, but one of my favorite 
parts was towards the end after they announced the engagement. He's just so angry. He almost becomes childish. <laughs> starts to say, you know, eat my butt. <laughs> yep. He just turns into a, a, like a little kid. And I, I love that direction that it took. Yeah. There's a lot of times where you have a sketch like this and it's a clever premise, you know, like what would happen if your first meeting with your potential in-laws kind of goes off the rails? Um, you know, they have a good idea, but then it just doesn't quite ascend as high as you need it to for it to really be funny and to really just, you know, hit home. Um, but this, they were able to get there. They just figured out how to continue to up the ante with every exchange. Yeah. And it never felt played out like right up until the last beat. It felt like, yeah, they're just continuing to heap on more goodness <laughs> into the scenario. Uh, and that's what really makes it satisfying is that they didn't have to retread jokes multiple times or it didn't just kind of fizzle out. It really just kind of kept that momentum and energy all the way to the end. So yeah, this is what you want from a sketch. This is really, really well constructed and well delivered. Full show. Moving on, we get a pre-tape. Sasquatch, a group of teenage campers have a shameful encounter with a woodland ape. I get it. <laughs> okay. That's my five-star review. <laughs> I get it. Quote Steve Finn. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, yes. Uh, you know, a lot of people fancy themselves experts because they listen to David Attenborough tell them about <laughs> squirrels for an hour or something. Right. I got where they were coming from with that. This, this just was not executed successfully, mm -hmm. which is surprising because this is a, a pre-tape and you can kind of forgive it to an extent when you see it in live sketches, you know, these moments that don't really land or work. Right. Pacing was off. A lot of things were wrong with this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. It It's kind of sad because there was a lot of talent and performance in there and uh, great costuming. I mean, the Sasquatch was on point. So there was a lot that really could have come together beautifully, but it did feel like it was lacking direction. Like once they established the idea of you've got a guy being abused by the Sasquatch and then you've got Sterling K Brown off to the side, offering the audience, the context of what the Sasquatch is doing and why, once you get past that setup, uh, it needed to go somewhere and it just didn't. It was just more gags that unlike the previous sketch didn't really build to anything satisfying. And that's kind of what made it fizzle out for me. Yeah. Well, it yeah. didn't have a logical build. What would have worked better if, you know, Sterling K Brown's character kept giving suggestions and making <laughs> the situation worse for sure, him. Sure. Yeah. That seemed like the obvious route, but Mikey day kind of goes rogue and decides to say, Hey, I'm the old for now. Right. And starts shoving him around, which, First of all, abandons any sense of realism <laughs> that you're supposed to go in with this sketch. Sure. No one would be doing a victory lap for running off a Sasquatch. Everyone would be terrified of the fact that that encounter just happened. So, yeah, there was a little bit of, yeah, missteps as far as the character development there. Yeah. I don't know. They had a good idea and they didn't roll with it yep. in uh, just the right way. Yeah, it didn't come together. It reminded me a lot of another Mikey Streeter outing from... Um, the John Cena episode where they spoof the karate kid, right? You have a similar situation where you've got kind of a fun setup. There's a lot of world building and there's a lot of fun characters in the midst of the scene, but it really just devolves into just beating the tar out of someone for no good reason and no good payoff. And that's kind of where this one ended up, you know, okay, great. There's a cartoonish punch that sends them over the moon, but how is that, you know, a button? For the sketch. Uh, so that's kind of yeah. where I felt like, all right, yeah, the writing just never made it to where it needed to be. And that's kind of why I can't call it a win. That's too bad, man. <laughs> yep. 
All right, so let's get off that. Let's take a look at our musical performances from James Bay. He performs Pink Lemonade and Wild Love. James Bay. He's a good lad, this one. I feel like a, a proud father okay. seeing him up there doing his, his little songs. Okay. Dressed up like a anorexic Neil Diamond. Okay. Uh, I thought he was pretty good. Okay. I found his songs catchy, unique, but also approachable, mainstream, poppy. Okay, well, I guess that's a hot take of sorts. I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I thought he looked kind of like a young Bowie, which was sort of amusing, but uh, the music itself was not offensive, but not memorable, you know? Yeah. Let's take a look at Weekend Update. For their lead-in, Jost and Che discuss Trump agreeing to meet with Kim Jong-un and this week's presidential porno update. What'd you make of the opening salvo? You know, it's almost a joke in itself that you can talk about Trump in the news and go directly from a national dictator to a porn star. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. The scandals that come one after another and are handed to us mm-hmm. stacked on top of each other. It's crazy. And, uh, it was something I was looking forward to hearing the angle on from these guys. Mm-hmm. Thought it was good stuff. Yeah, it was good stuff. This is uh, another solid outing for Jost and Che. I felt like they both uh, had really pristine deliveries of the material. It was solid joke writing end to end. I have nothing bad to say about it. This this was good. Weekend Update's been pretty consistent and, and this is just continuing to keep pace. So win for me. Yeah. And I hope it somehow gets over there that uh, they referred to Kim Jong-un as a Asian lesbian. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let's see if that derails the peace talks. <laughs> SNL may have just started a nuclear war. Who knows? We'll see that in the headlines next. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a look at our first feature. Eric and Donald Trump are back to discuss claims that the white house is in chaos. Did we want to see Eric and Donald again? Yeah. We always love seeing these guys. Mm-hmm. They don't seem to get old quite as fast as some other recurring characters. Right. Which says a lot about the performance. Uh, the chemistry between Mikey and uh, Alex and the writing itself. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed definitely this time that every time they go back to these characters, they kind of exaggerate it a little bit more and more. Okay. The mimicry that Eric does, mm-hmm. that's getting more pronounced. Um, he's almost like mouthing words now. <laughs> and we see this with a lot of recurring characters where, you know, they top themselves each time and go a little bit higher. Right. We're starting to see that go up and up in, in these guys. And that may mean that they'll have less places to go going forward, but um, it's still enjoyable for what it's worth. And and I appreciated what they did with it this time. Yeah, I can see that. I agree with you. I don't think it's quite played out. I don't think that this was the high watermark, right? Because it is getting to be a little bit more paint by numbers and there isn't as many fresh things that they're able to bring in, you know, like swapping out the toy each time is, is getting diminishing returns because we already know what Eric's reaction is going to be. So it's not inventive. We're never going to have as much fun as the first outing. And that's just true of any recurring character on SNL. But I feel like the actual character dynamic. And like you mentioned, the chemistry, it's so strong that they can just continue to throw these out there and I'm going to enjoy them for the foreseeable future. There will come a tipping point, but for now I'm still loving this. Yeah. All right. Moving on for our last feature of the night, we get a surprise return from Vanessa Bayer as weekend update meteorologist, Don Lazarus. Are we happy to see Vanessa back as Don Lazarus? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I loved seeing Vanessa again. I love that it was in this capacity. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty much a brand new character that she teased us with right when she had one foot out the door. Right. I fell in love with it immediately. I thought it was so well done, so relatably awkward. 
So it was, it was more than welcome. And it's always great to see Vanessa. Mm-hmm. And she was as sharp as ever, like not being on the show for a season hasn't crippled her ability to get through very challenging material. So big win. Happy to see it. Yeah. Back half of the show, we get a live sketch in a deleted scene from Black Panther. T'Challa meets his ancestors, including useless uncle Mbutu. I thought this was such a brilliant idea for a sketch. Like when, when I understood the premise, I was like, man, that is such a clever way to go with that whole uh, mythology okay. that was set up in, in the Black Panther. You don't get to pick your family and you definitely don't get to pick who your family members marry. <laughs> sure. Yep. It's a pretty interesting uh, concept and, you know, not much to go with, but that's why you throw the ball to Keenan and just have some fun with it. And um, yeah, for all its flaws, I thought it was overall a good time. Okay. Uh, I think you were warmer on it than I was. I did not enjoy this at all. <laughs> uh, I saw Black Panther, so I know what they were goofing on, but you know what? It just, it, it felt too thin. It just didn't feel like there was anything there except Keenan, you know, being the odd man out there for a couple minutes. And uh, there just wasn't anything like stunningly funny about the scenario or even what Keenan brought, right? Like he's larger than life. It's always fun to see Keenan on screen, but it just wasn't great material for him in, in my opinion. So uh, I, I don't think this one came together well at all. Well, no. Yeah. And that's why I made that caveat for all its flaws. I had a good time with it. Okay. Yeah. And I'd agree with basically what you're saying. I'm just saying in a positive light, sure. I enjoyed Keenan's performance. Okay. That's all. Well, that's probably the dividing line right there. So Keenan's performance was enough to make this a marginal win for you, but I don't feel like even Keenan could make this material as special as it needed to be to be a win for me. So uh, I'm going to count this one as a loss. All right. Bye. Okay. All right. Uh, next live sketch. Dr. Hodges helps a patient to forget about his syphilis and listen to his heart. I think the reason I like this sketch so much is that they let Sterling have some fun with this one. Yes, he's the guy that can get angry and get emotional, and, and they definitely use that to their advantage up until this point of the show. This one, he just got to be goofy mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, just show that he can be genuinely funny. And, you know, I was afraid they weren't going to allow him to show a new side of him, but I feel like this introduced the goofy Sterling to yeah. the world. And uh, for that reason, it was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Overall, it was, it was a pretty good sketch as well. I agree. I liked it. It was a good sketch. It was nice to uh, see Sterling K play this character. That's just totally enthralled by the idea of this guy's sex life. Like that's just such an awkward and weird thing to have a, like a, a physician who's supposed to be like poised and professional to just kind of like be in bro mode with you. Uh, that was funny right out of the gate and they took it to a good place, right? Like where every step of the way where Sterling K has to demonstrate some kind of medical knowledge or prowess, he's totally disinterested. He could care less what causes syphilis. He could care less what's wrong with this guy. All he wants to do is just be his wingman and just help him take his relationship to the next level. The, the earnestness of that character just won me over and, uh, had a lot of fun with it. Absolutely. Dr. Love. (laughs) Did you notice his, um, his medical decree? No. What'd it say? It was framed on the wall Uh right behind him. Uh, his first name was Cupid. Okay. Yes. Yes. The clues were there. All right. (laughs) He certainly played the part. This is the kind of stuff that someone like Keegan, Michael key could make work really well. Sure. And that's who he reminded me of doing some of the physicality, Mm -hmm. the way he gets excited and runs around. And that's one of those categories that we were talking about 
what what makes a great host. It's mm-hmm. it's someone that can slip right into that comedy version of themselves. Yep. If that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. Uh Sterling K. Brown, he's just versatile. Like you said, he he was able to tap into sort of that like boyish enthusiasm <laughs> that uh that just really serve the sketch well. So it is important that a host be able to come in and find the right tone, the right approach for a character. And I feel like he found it. So yeah, there was, there was some good, uh, either like direction from the, the writers to help him find that, or he just kind of intuited the right approach for that character. But one way or another, yeah, it all, it all came together really nice. Right on, right on, right on. Moving on. We get another live sketch. Gail, the script supervisor performs some exceptionally bad off screen line readings. Well, this was one of those enjoyable cringe sketches. Mm-hmm. It's always fun. It's like a love hate relationship. We all have with it because we hate to watch it, <laughs> but we love to cringe along. Sure. You definitely empathize with uh, Sterling K Brown's character here. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> can't imagine a worse, uh, worse distraction when you're trying to give the performance of a lifetime. <laughs> and for what it's worth, this was a fun sketch and it was it was fun to to be annoyed playfully by Cecily. Yeah. Uh yeah, I enjoyed this. I don't think that this was a great sketch, but I feel like <laughs> Sterling K Brown's reactions really helped to elevate it and and make it a little more special than maybe the material would have been on its own. So, there was enough amusement in the reactions from Sterling and in Cecily's performance that I'm going to count it as a marginal win. Yeah, marginal win. Yep. And in case our audience uh feels like enduring some pain Reddit was able to suss out what the inspiration for this sketch was. Apparently there is a YouTube wannabe singer named Lisa Gale Allard who has put out some, some music videos that highlight her limited range (laughs) as a performer. And uh, it's become a little bit of a viral cringe sensation. So uh, that's kind of what Cecily's character was modeled after. And if you kind of want to see that context, that's where you'll find it. I I haven't heard this, uh, this woman that it's based on, mm-hmm. uh, I can imagine it might be a little bit more painful. It's definitely a good idea to portray a bad singer with a good singer. <laughs> sure. Okay. If that makes sense, because you know, obviously there was like a bad performance from Cecily, but it was still, it wasn't painful on the ears. It was just, you know, out of tune enough that you know, it's wrong. <laughs> right. But it doesn't make you want to rip your hair out. Mm-hmm. Like, some really bad performances can <laughs> comically bad is not the same as genuinely bad. Yeah. Like I want to give you a hug and tell you it's okay. Bad. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's far beyond comedy. Yep. Okay. So that's probably as uh, much as we're going to be able to uh, dig into that sketch. Let's take a look at our next pre-tape. Kyle Mooney's Chris Fitzpatrick goes man on the street to answer the burning question. What's better rock or rap? This is a conversation I had many times in junior high. I enjoy this for the same reason I enjoy any other of these uh, Chris Fitzpatrick sketches. They're just very true to life. Uh, Angsty teenager, you know, new metal scully kid. (laughs) It's just a great character. And I love his character work. I love what he explores with them. And the whole style of his amateur editing is just the perfect (laughs) thing to wrap it in. Yeah. There's a couple of things I appreciate about this. The first is we touched on it last week where Kyle Mooney had a weekend update segment where he's like Kyle as Kyle, not being invited to Colin Joe's uh, Oscar party. And we were kind of digging into how Kyle sort of has that, 
fearlessness where he's willing to let a joke go bad for the sake of maybe even just his own amusement, but hopefully the audience's amusement. This is another example of that where a lot of the laughs are found in just how willing he is to let things get awkward and feel you know, just cringy and hard to watch. So uh, I feel like that fearlessness is there. Uh, it, it does take a special kind of performer to wrap their head around how to approach something like this to find some humor in that cringiness. Uh, so I like that. I really like that. The other thing that I really appreciate about this kind of a segment is that it's essentially him going down on the street and investing in his character to the point where he can just be that character in the moment and just sort of improv the whole thing. Right. Cause these are real people that he's encountering. Yep. He has to try and play off whatever they give him and find some funny in it. So there's a talent in that, yep. you know, not every comedian has the ability to just riff in the moment and figure out just on the fly without any chance to just think it over and craft it just find something amusing with what they're thrown. And he was doing it. He was able to find really fun in character reactions to whatever these people were saying. And uh, I I'm really impressed by that. Yeah. And that is where the real courage is. It's one thing for Kyle to do his awkward stuff, you know, <laughs> bang out of Bruce Chandling right. within the comforts of studio H and cue cards and cue cards. Everything's right. controlled, contained to go out and put that into the public. And they don't know what's going on. They may not recognize the guy. Anything could happen to him. Mm-hmm. Like when you put your trust in the public, especially <laughs> at a place like New York, literally anything could happen. So yeah, to do that and remain in character and, and get palpable TV worthy comedy. Right. It speaks mountains of his talents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the other grin worthy thing about this, I think is really in the editing where he's intentionally imposing his bias on the final edit. And you see that where he'll cut off someone who's not really saying the things that he wants them to say. And then dwelling on someone who's saying something vaguely in the realm of what he'd like to say. And then he's adding his yeah. own commentary to twist their words. So yeah, there's just, there's just a whole lot of layers to what Mooney does. And, uh, uh, I, I can't help but grin at it because the more you think about what he's doing, the more brilliant it seems and the more satisfying it is. So yeah, gotta love Kyle Mooney. Gotta love Kyle Mooney. Yeah. All right. So let's take a look at our 10 to one sketch on her deathbed. Lola Gomez rocks out to Nickelback one last time. Well, it's uh, definitely that 10 to one vibe. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a bizarre one. It's, it's random out of left field. You are shocked by the reference <laughs> and that's what makes it funny. Okay. This is what we got here. It's like, where the hell did you even come up with this? Not even a relevant song. <laughs> and doesn't really have much to do with the last words on, on one's deathbed. It's a big question mark as to where they came from with this, how they got there. And I love that mystery. Yeah. It's just a bizarre nonsense enigma. Yeah. The whole sketch is just the amusement of this old woman being so enamored by Nickelback, right? Like she's the last person that should be a diehard Nickelback fan to the point where it's the only thing on her mind as she's on her deathbed. Yeah, that is just weird. They, they found a really fun way to send up that idea and there's nothing deep here. There's really nothing that I can really pick apart beyond that other than it was a joy 
to kind of go on this stupid ride that's kind of inscrutable <laughs> and uh, a, a throwback to a song that I just wish didn't exist. But the fact that it does and can now be the crux of a joke on SNL, that kind of, that just works for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to call this a win for our 10 to one. Yeah, yeah, me too. All right. That's our recap. Let's talk moment of the night. My moment of the night uh, was actually uh, Melissa Villasenor's little drum fill. Oh yeah. Uh, leading into <laughs> the uh, Nickelback song. Sure. Okay. Because anybody who knows that song probably does that same little air drum right, thing. Right. Usually ironically, because <laughs> most people I know don't like Nickelback, but that's undeniably the one thing that sticks out in your memory mm-hmm. is that double stroke fill. Yeah. And not only is it uh, a moment for Melissa, but the band themselves really recreated that uh, song almost perfectly. <laughs> Very true. The tone of the guitar. And that lead-in fill, that drum fill, mm-hmm. Sean Pelton pretty much recreated it exactly, yep. which is an important detail to get right for me. All right. Okay. So a very, very specific <laughs> moment of the night, but uh, I, I can dig it. Uh, this was a very good showing for Melissa tonight. She had a lot of screen time and not just the background walk-on characters, but she was front and center quite a bit. And I was happy to see it. So uh, even though I wasn't quite as enamored with the drumming as you were, uh, I can totally get behind anything that... Uh, has Melissa on screen doing something memorable. So yeah, good. Yeah. 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 (laughs) For my moment of the night, I'm giving it to Sterling K Brown's monologue. The first time that he devolves into emotional distress. (laughs) It's Saturday night live. (laughs) Yeah. He performed that so well and just completely captured the audience, right? Like everyone was really on board when they saw where he was going with the monologue that I felt like he just really created a fantastic energy for the show, made me feel very confident about him as a host and just really nailed it. Just really performed in the moment. Nerves can get to you, right? Like this isn't a soundstage. This isn't something where you have 30 takes to get something right. He did it on cue in the moment stunningly. And it just really had me grinning. I was so happy to see that. Yeah. Yep. No, that is a good moment and uh, definitely gave us a good sense of what we were in store for. Yep. Let's talk best sketch. What do you got? I'll tell you what my best sketch is. It's that, uh, that Shrek one. Okay. The incommensurate reaction to someone <laughs> suggesting that uh, Shrek may not be the greatest animated film of all time. <laughs> I thought it was delightfully uh, vicious <laughs> and, you know, it was lightning in a bottle. You got someone like Sterling K. Brown, one of, you know, a handful of actors who could actually sell this kind of material. Mm-hmm. And here we have it. So, uh, yeah, definitely the highlight. Yeah. There's no contest. It's mine too. For all the reasons that you said it came together marvelously. It was deliciously, uh, hard to watch, you know, this guy derailing his relationship for no good reason over the most trivial thing. And, uh, Sterling K Brown, he brought the heat. So we'll allow Sasquatch to be a close runner up. <laughs> yes, sure. We'll give an honorable mention to Sasquatch. <laughs> All right. So MVP. MVP. Well, it's got to be Melissa. Yeah. Okay. Miss Via Senor, Miss Man Town. <laughs> she uh, was heavily featured. Mm-hmm. She kind of had to make room for these newer featured cast members. Sure. Because she's still working on carving out her place. Mm-hmm. She seems to be recovering from that, and this is a great example of it. Three, you know, somewhat crucial roles in the sketches. Yeah. So that's good numbers that she's pulling. 
for where she's been at recently. And, uh, she also mentioned me several times in that, uh, film shoot sketch talking about her boyfriend. That is obviously me. Okay. Good Lord. All right. <laughs> but aside from that, impartially unbiased, I, I still give her my MVP. Okay. No, I, uh, I can see where you're coming from. It was definitely a good showing for Melissa tonight. Uh, the 10 to one, especially was a very satisfying role that she was able to play. Always happy to see the featured players get screen time. And like you said, uh, we've got a lot of featured players right now and a few that just kind of hit the ground running. And so we always wonder about Melissa and also Luke, you know, when they're going to have their moments to shine and really show what they can do. And uh, it is nice. It is nice when uh, they get to be in the mix there and really have a solid outing and uh, I can respect it for my MVP. I'm going with Sterling K Brown. Mm. First time host, all the enthusiasm in the world, all the ability in the world jumped right in and made some sketches that could have fallen flat with other performers really sore. And I think he is the reason why this show, uh, could be counted as a win. I, I think a lot of it just rested on how much ability he brought to his roles. I dig it. Yep. Okay. Big question on a scale of classic, great, decent weak, or train wreck. How would you rate this episode? I, um, uh, I went back and forth on this one. Mm-hmm. Pretty uh, large range. At some points I was thinking I was going to go with weak. Sometimes I was thinking great, really fickle feelings about this episode. <laughs> I'm landing on a decent. There were some sketches that I really did like. Some sketches were average. Some were uh, probably in the bottom five of this season. Sure. So I think it's safe to say I'm landing square in the middle on this one. Yep. Yeah. We had some wild swings of the pendulum. We had some great moments. We had some really, really clunky pieces. So uh, I agree wholeheartedly. It all just lands right in the middle. It was an overall fun and satisfying outing, but for a few key moments, not because it was an overall even show, but I still feel like it's squarely in that decent range. So that's what I'm going with too. Yeah, boy. All right. We're in agreement. That's a cast. Thanks as always to Steve Finn. And thanks as well to our repertory player patrons, Jonathan Jordan and Aaron and Trader. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host Bill Hader and musical guest Arcade Fire. This has been episode number 43 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Thanks to James Bay, Vanessa Bear, Lord Michael, thank you for having me. New York City, I love you. This past, this crew, this is crazy. Have me back. Peace, y'all. The Eastern Seaboard was slammed by two massive winter storms in seven days, canceling thousands of flights and leaving millions without power. Now, a third storm may be on the way. Here to explain is Weekend Update meteorologist Dawn Lazarus. And thank you, 
Kit McCockle. They got that right. We're looking at not one, not two, but two big biggies. <laughs> Some of the biggest bigs we've seen in quite a time. Absolutely dump after dump. Wow. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble understanding what you're saying. Well, it's simple. Windy winds are coming out of your north and your yeast, pushing it way down into that major cold kahuna, and yeah? Yeah, yeah what? What? You sounded like you had more to say. Hap. <laughs> Is something wrong, Don? Only about half of what you're saying it makes sense. It's live TV and it's a bit nervous, okay? Cameras will make that mouth go poop. 